Why do you want to fight? This is the fight game with Demond Cotton. Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of the fight game on 1230 The Game. I am your host, Damon Cotton, and I say it each and every week, but there is so much to talk about in the world of combat sports. John Jones is back and on top in the UFC heavyweight division. MJF put on a masterclass with Brian Danielson in their Ironman match at AEW Revolution. The Bloodline, Jey Uso coming back home, turning on Sami Zayn in the WWE. There is just always so much to talk about, and we only have an hour. So we're going to get to it as fast as possible. Coming up around 12.05, in a few minutes, we're going to be talking to OG Shawnee Mack from Full Send MMA. They do great work over there. Got that exclusive access after just about every fight. You know, they're backstage with the fighters, so it's going to be good to talk to Shawnee. You know, we're going to recap UFC 285 and look ahead to the UFC Fight Night card. That's this Saturday. I mean, the UFC, it never stops. This week, I was at Media Day for the Ultimate Fighter, the Power Slap Finale, and UFC fight night. So there is just so much to talk about. I'm running in and out of the apex. I feel like I should just get a, a, a residential badge or something. I feel like I'm a member of the UFC at this point. All the running that we have to do from the apex these past two weeks wouldn't have it any other way. And then around 1225, maybe 1230, we're going to be talking to Cameron Hawkins from The Ringer. And he's going to be joining us to talk about the piece that he wrote on Brian Danielson ahead of his AEW World Championship match against MJF. And then we're also going to talk and break down the card a little bit. So that should be fun. Cameron Hawkins, he's one of the best follows on Twitter at Seahawk. Great guy to have on the show. Really insightful. He's one of those guys that when he talks to the wrestlers, when you read these profiles that he does, it's it's almost as if he's talking to his friends. Where I don't know if he's, you know, that well, that he's that friendly with every wrestler that he interviews, but he makes it seem like there's just a personal level and it's just two friends shooting the S, you know, if you know what I mean. And then for a few good minutes on today's show, we're going to talk about something that's been in my head for a week now and everybody's had a week to watch it. Everybody's had their chance to see it if they haven't had a chance yet. So I don't care if I spoil it a little bit for you. Going to be talking about Creed 3. Because the fights in that movie, the anime influence, it was off the charts. Believe me, I kind of want to rush through the show already because at the end of the show, we're going to talk Creed 3 and I cannot wait. Man, it's only 20. It's only what March in 2023. But I'm already saying that might be the movie of the year for me. So without further ado, let's ring the bell. OG Shawnee Mac and let's talk about UFC 285. And joining me on the fight game, nothing but illustrious guest around here, OG Shawnee Mack from Full Sand MMA. We just got to get straight into it. UFC 285, John Jones, the comeback, the return, the champ is here and he's still the champ. What did you think about that performance coming out? Hey, how's John Jones going to look at heavyweight? This is something that we're not used to seeing. Cyril Gaon, he's built like an Adonis, but John Jones just went out there and smoked him. What were your thoughts? <sighs> Bro, I'm still, I'm still debating if John Jones coming back and doing all that, like I have no doubts that he's a goat, but I'm still debating if it was an all time John Jones performance 
or if Cyril Gaughan just decided to pull a Cowboy Cerrone and not show up that night. I'm right there with you when it comes to did Cyril Gaughan, did he show up? I know I've never been inside the octagon with one of the greatest of all time, the greatest of all time. So I'm not going to say that was that guillotine on that tight. But for me, with Cyril Gaughan, what was the training that? Were, how much did you prepare? We knew John Jones was going to try to take him down, and it looked like he was the only person inside of T-Mobile that didn't know it was coming. Bro, it was the first takedown of the night. John timed it perfectly. He put him up against the cage, and, like, we had seen the footage on Instagram of Henry Cejudo kind of going over that whole scenario, but it's like, literally, you know what John Jones is going to do. He's going to wrestle. He's going to try to take you down. And it's like, you're exactly right. Like what, what did you think was going to happen? You know? Yeah, so when it comes to John Jones, you were there after the post-fight press conference. He's talking about, you know, he's taking it one day at a time. That's what everybody's got to do. But we know that Steve Bay's up next. Where do you see that matchup being in the future? Oh, my God, bro. It's, I mean, it's pretty much all confirmed that it's going to be at International Fight Week. But, um, you know, do we really want this fight? Like, I know a lot of hardcore fans want to see it, and they've talked about it for a long time, but it's like, Stipe's been out for how long? You know, he's doing the firefighting thing. I mean, the most I can see for Stipe out of this fight is him taking this one fight and riding off into the sunset. So is that is that even good for the sport? Yeah, it might be a, a super fight or whatnot. But, I mean, it, do you honestly believe that Stipe wins that fight? Because I don't. Oh, I, like, I, you got to give him a chance. You know, puncher's chance, anything can happen. But there's no way that I have him over John Jones. That's a guy who's lost his last two fights when they were to Francis, and now he gets a title shot. I know that he's the heavyweight GOAT, but there's got to be somewhere, maybe Pavlovich, Curtis Blades, that they are more deserving of a heavyweight shot. That's what I want, to be honest with you. Like, I think the winner of that fight, either Curtis Blades or Sergey Pavlovich, like, they're both, still going to be in the UFC for years to come. Whereas like Stipe's already done it all. And maybe he's just coming back for this one fight. So it's like, yeah, it's going to be a big draw, but I would rather have a guy that's hungry and still wants to, you know, do something in the sport of MMA come in and, and challenge John Jones, because I think it will be more of a challenge for him. Again, we're talking to OG Shawnee Mack from Full Send MMA here on The Fight Game. Let's move over to that co-main event, the biggest surprise of the night, Alexa Grasso becoming the UFC Women's Flyweight Champion as she submitted Valentina Shevchenko. Did you think that was going to happen? Did you think Valentina was going to walk all over her? What were your thoughts on that fight? Because it was definitely the biggest shock of the night. Yeah, there were, I don't know. There was just something in the air. Like we were, we were talking about it backstage, and we're like, man, you know, John Jones having all this pressure on him and, and Valentina being such a huge, you know, favorite. We were kind of like, man, maybe one of them loses. You know, it was kind of, we were all kind of talking about it backstage. Like maybe one out of these two people lose. And, um, man, like I had Alexa Grasso's team come backstage afterward. And I mean, the footage is all over Instagram now, but they had showed us that video of Alexa literally like, um, you know, they would throw the spinning back kick in the in the locker room and they would have Alexa immediately jump on the back. Like, they practiced that scenario to the T. And it almost seemed like muscle memory. Like, when you go back and you watch the footage of her in the locker room and then you see her doing it in the cage, they must have practiced that scenario, like, over and over and over and over again. And um, 
I mean, we saw Valentina do what she does in the first couple of rounds. Like, she had Alexa Grasso in that crucifix position with the ground and pound where she finishes so many people. But, I mean, Alexa was able to get a, get out of there, and she, she tired her out a little bit between, you know, the first couple of rounds. And I think that was part of the strategy was, okay, you know, get through the first couple of rounds and then really put it on her in the last two and, you know, get out there and shock the world. What was she, like a six-to-one underdog or something like that? Mm-hmm. Or it's just like... So, Go ahead. It was it was just interesting because I'd I'd also been following uh, kind of both of their trajectories and like I had seen in the past you know since the Tyler Santos fight Valentina had just been traveling I you know all of her Instagram was her traveling to different places and taking pictures in different places but like I mean granted she was probably training the whole time but for me a successful training camp has always just been like look I'm going to be honed in in one place with a with a team and a coach behind me and this is where we're going to be for this training camp rather than you know kind of going on a world tour and, and traveling and taking pictures and things like that so like her, her her mental focus was probably there but at the same time i'm like eh, you know what i mean oh i know what you mean exactly sometimes the champ are you overlooking your competition are you taking it serious enough i'll take it back to the main event where i saw a video of john jones he was eating his food and he's they're showing him a video of cyril Ghan. he's like he's playing he's playing video games during a fight week where sometimes you got to be locked in for that fight. I know it's, hey, everybody's training and everybody's still taking it serious, but you don't know how much harder your opponent is training and you can't overlook anybody in the UFC. Moving on to that welterweight fight, Jeff Neal, Shavkat Rachmanov. This was definitely the fight of the night. Dano saying after he's never broken the rule that if you miss weight, you don't get paid for a fight bonus. But these guys put on the fight of the night. What did you think about this? Because I thought that maybe Jeff Neal would have a chance, but this was an absolute war. You know what, man? Good for Jeff Neal, honestly. Like, it, it's one thing to, and I know, you know, Paul Felder hates it when guys miss weight and this and that, but, I mean, to miss it by, like, half a pound or a pound, okay, then maybe he didn't do something right, but something must have seriously gone wrong in his weight cut for him to miss by, what was it, like, four pounds or something like that. It was kind of like the Hamzat scenario where they probably just had to stop cutting at one point. So when you're already drained like that, it's going to be hard to recover the next day. Um, but to watch him go out there and, like, give it the fight that he did against Shavkat, because, like, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I, Jeff Neal's a, a hell of a fighter, but I did not expect him to give Shavkat that good of a fight. You know, I think, I think Shavkat's going to be a title challenger sooner than later. Um, but my hat's off to Jeff Neal. Yes, he missed weight, but I agree with Dana. Pay that man the money. That was a hell of a fight. Yeah, you talk about that welterweight division. Who would you like to see Shavkat fight next? Ooh, that's very interesting, bro. I mean, if it was me, I'd love to just see him jump the line right away. <laughs> but, like, Bilal doesn't have a fight, but I know Bilal would never take a fight with a guy above him. You know what I mean? Bilal's only looking to fight guys like Colby and, and top guys. Um, yeah, I, I really don't know, bro. I would say just get him to the top as quick as you can. Find, find a guy that's not booked in that top of the division and book him right away. I mean, is there anything that that guy's shown us that tells us that he wouldn't be competitive or win with these top guys? Oh, no, he's the truth. He's definitely the truth. 
Again, so man, like so now we're gonna move on to lightweight. Matisse Gamrot, Jalen Turner in the lightweight division. Now, for Jalen Turner, not that I feel bad for him because he had a shot, but where the guy who steps in on late notice is such a gamer like Matisse Gamrot, you gotta say, God him, that's gotta I know hey, you you've gotta fight who's in front of you. But for Jalen Turner, I think that this was a bit of a mismatch for him, especially on short notice. <laughs> a bit of a gamer. I see what you did there. Um Yeah, bro. It was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. Like, I actually had taken Jalen as a dog just because I loved his length and I loved the win streak that he was on. But, um, and yeah, I mean, he knocked him down a couple times in the fight as well. But, yeah, you're right. Like, for Gamrot to step up, it's like, this is the guy that's going to step up. You know, um, Gamrot's good, bro. He's really good. He trains at ATT. He's out there with, like, guys like Dustin Poirier. And, um He's just relentless, you know. He's one of those guys that I hate to make this comparison because they call Jalen Turner the tarantula, but Matthias Gamrod is like the spider web, you know, the guy that you just can't get off you. You know, you're tired and you're, you just want some space, and this guy's just constantly in your face type thing. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And then the last fight that I want to ask you about from that main card before we move over to this week's UFC fight night, Bo Nickel, Jamie Pickett. Bo Nick, did he live up to the hype? <laughs> he did, bro. I mean, he, me and him joked backstage about that that kick that he missed, and there was actually like a tweet online. I can't remember who it was, but they had joked. They had screenshotted Bo Nickel falling when he missed that kick, and uh, they they had typed, you know, like Jamie Pickett just rocked Bo Nickel type thing. Um, I expected him to get the submission a little bit quicker. Um, I know he was taking his time with that arm triangle and stuff like that, but I mean, when you're like a minus 200 favorite to win in the first round, that's saying something, bro. I think we all knew what was going to happen. No disrespect to Jamie Pickett, but everybody kind of knew that was going to be the result before the fight even happened. Um, and you know what? A lot of these guys should be thankful because Bo Nichols being nice. He's going in there and he's tapping them in the first round and he's not making them take too much damage. Like these guys could step in and take another fight in a week and have everybody forget that they just lost the Bo Nickel. Um, but if Bo Nickel really wanted to, he could in the, he could get in there and he could, you know, throw some ground strikes and beat these guys up a little bit, but he's being nice right now and tapping them out early. But, um, bro, this guy's the truth. When you look at his wrestling pedigree at Penn state, look at how wrestlers have done historically in the UFC. This guy's going to be a future champion. I have no doubt about it. Who would you want to see him fight next? Because I'm a little greedy. I want to just see him fight top 10 competition already. Oh, man. Who, who is the guy that keeps calling him out? Oh, I'm going to have to Google this right now. He trains with Sean Brady and um, that whole team out there in Philly. You, you know who I'm talking about? Man, I know who you're talking about. He was recent. Ah, man. I know. Hang on. I'm going to look this up right now. It was on the Pereira and uh, Israel Adesanya. Yeah, you do that. Take your time. Take your time. Because um, he was in the back talking about it in the post-fight interview. He's like, yeah, Bo Nichols talking all this trash. And, like, sooner or later he's going to have to see me type thing. Petrosky, I think. Andre Petrosky. 
So who you got? In the, I know you're already on the Bo Nickel train, but do you think that would be a competitive matchup, or is he talking too much? Um, I mean, they build those guys tough out there in uh, in Philly, bro. Like, I wouldn't doubt it, you know. Um, but I mean, how do you bet, how do you bet against Bo Nickel? It's going to be a grappler's delight. Like they're going to be wrestling against each other. But I mean. Petrovsky's 4-0 in the UFC. You know, he's no slouch. He's had grappling matches against, like, OSP and Phil Haas and Eric Anders and stuff like that. But, I mean, it obviously doesn't compare to Bo Nickel. Like, he might be able to get one of the better exchanges in the grappling, but if I'm being real here, Bo Nickel waxes him. Again, we're talking to OG Shining Mac from Full Sand MMA. The last fight I want to ask you about, that's going to be on this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. The main event, Peter Yan, Marab Davashili. Who do you got in this one? Because I like Marab in this fight. This was interesting to me because um, there seemed to be, like I saw this video of them in the hotel that was kind of going around. and it, To me, it looked kind of staged. It looked like Marab had his camera people just pull up on Peter Yan and you know, kind of try and catch him off guard. But then Marab got up on stage yesterday and kind of explained where this whole beef started with him. So apparently one of Peter Jan's friends, who is like a champion in 1FC, made a bet with Marab for $50,000 on the last fight between Aljamain Sterling and Peter Jan. So obviously Marab was going to take Aljo and, you know, Peter Jan's friend was taking Peter Jan. And, um, you know, Aljo goes and wins the fight, and Marab says this guy still hasn't paid him his money. And Peter Jan's making excuses for his friend not to pay him, you know, his $50,000. So Marab's already pissed off about this. He's like, you know, if you're a real man, you make this bet, you pay me my money, we're all good. Um, And then this, you know, apparently there was a little bit of back and forth. They had seen each other at different events. And uh, Peter Jan had, had called Marab small and things like that. And, um, yeah, it was just very interesting. I'd never seen this side of Marab at Media Day yesterday. He was actually kind of pissed off. So then this video comes out of them interacting in the lobby. And what Marab said he wanted to do was, like, set up a video with the schmo interviewing the two of them, kind of like a face-to-face type interview. And... uh Peter Jan was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And then Marab was like, oh, well, why don't we just do it with my camera guy? And same thing, Peter Jan walked away. And then Peter Jan gets up on media day yesterday and was asked about it and says, you know, I didn't want to do this video because nobody gives a shit about Marab type thing. Like, he he felt like Marab was just trying to get this clout chase off of him. And then you get the scenario of this, you know, Peter Jan's friend owing Marab 50K, so there is a little bit of heat. There might, you know, we might have to dig into it a little bit. But um, sorry, my long-winded answer. I'm going with Peter Jan. Um, I just didn't see enough in the Marab against Jose Aldo fight. You know, like yes, he grappled him. He held, you know, he held most of the control time up against the cage. But damage-wise, what did he really do to Jose Aldo? You know, Jose Aldo was on the outs of his UFC career. Now he's going in there against a Peter Jan who is a dangerous, dangerous fighter. You know what I mean? He's got mm-hmm. good grappling. His striking is amazing. And, like, no disrespect to Marab, but he's not on all Joe's level. 
you know, Aljo was able to deal with that, but I just don't think Marab is there yet. So I think we're going to get either a late finish or a decision for Peter Jan. Man, like you said, like now we got some heat for this fight. Everything's pro wrestling. I need more of this in the UFC. I need those deep-seated back personal stories because I want to see some heat in the fight. I want it to be some personal animosity, not just ah, he's a good fighter and we'll see who wins. I am so much more intrigued for this fight after those nuggets you gave me here. Thank you for joining me on the show. Before you go, let everybody know what you got going on. Yes, sir. So we are going to be in Las Vegas this weekend, obviously, for the Cardian Valshvili. Um then we're going to be headed to London next week for Usman Edwards 3. Um, you can follow us on every social media platform, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, at Full Send MMA. And, uh, yeah, man, I just appreciate you, you know, having me on your show and letting me come by and chop it up and talk MMA with you, bro, because, uh, you know, I always love doing things like this. Oh, man, y'all got some of the best coverage in the game. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Appreciate you, bro. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little pro wrestling, AEW, Brian Danielson, the one of the best in the world. We're going to be talking about him and more with Cameron Hawkins from The Ringer. Don't go anywhere. This is The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game with Damon Cotton. And welcome back to The Fight Game here on 1230 The Game. And I'm pleased to introduce my next guest, the one, the only Cameron Hawkins. You can follow him at Seahawk on Twitter and give him all your life's questions. Hey, Cam, how you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing all right, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I want to talk to you. AEW, we just saw it at the Revolution this past Sunday, but Brian Danielson, you did a feature on him, and it's some of the great, it's some great work. All of the articles that you put out for The Ringer, top-notch. How did this come about, you talking with the man, the myth, the legend, Brian Danielson? Oh, man, it was, uh, you know, um, they got pay-per-views to sell, man, right? Yeah, um, so when it gets to uh, to uh, a certain point uh, toward the show, you know, um, they kind of do feelers. I had actually, I've been wanting to talk to Danielson for a while. Again, my whole thing is, like, I want to know about people and what they think and what influences the decisions they make. And so the big thing for me was, you know, like, like is AEW where you want to be and why? How is it different from WWE? Um, it was really fun. So, yeah, we, um, we talked for, uh, like, typically I'll set aside an hour. And sometimes I'll talk to somebody for 20 minutes. Sometimes it's 30. We really talked for 57 minutes straight. Like it was really, really in-depth, and he had some really cool stuff to say. So, yeah, man, it was, uh, it was not only that time, but I think he just had a lot on his mind. I think he, he's one of those people who really like, like to talk. <laughs> you don't get that from everybody. But, yeah, it was really cool. It was great. Yeah, so you mentioned that he likes to talk, but he's one of those guys where people think about him on the promo. When he's given that big and passionate promo, yes, he's great on the mic, but some people like to say, hey, Danielson is not the best. But when you're just talking to him conversationally, how how passionate is he still about professional wrestling? He loves it. Like, he loves professional wrestling. And I don't mean, like, loves it in the sense of how much money I can make or how many people are watching. He loves getting in the ring and doing stuff and the, the emotion that it inspires in him afterwards. That is genuinely his goal. Now, he also realizes just how good he is at it, right? So those things kind of take care of themselves. Like, we talked. He was like, look, like, I, I'm not concerned with legacy. Um, I don't even know if this thing is going to be the same thing 50 years from now. I'm having fun. 
when I have fun, apparently the matches are good and people like them, and the boss is happy. So I'm just going to keep doing it. He, he's absolutely in love with the feeling he gets from professional wrestling. And you mentioned fun. In this run that he's having with AEW, what do you think? I know he's not concerned about his legacy or what it could be for 50 years, but how much left in the tank did he allude to that he may be having? Oh, man. He, he, he does not see an end to it. Like, he was literally like, yo, I will go out there and wrestle in front of 30 people. Like, until I don't want to do it. There, there's no end in sight for him. Um, now, I think what's interesting is it could be tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a sense of I only have this much left. It's like I'm going to do it till it's not fun, and right now it's fun as it's ever been. And so, you know, I think he's mercurial in the sense of his mind can actually change. He loves the fact that because he was successful, because Bree was successful, if he doesn't want to wrestle another day in his life, he doesn't have to. You know, but he is loving it as much as anything. Um, you know, AEW, I think, gives him with this thing where you're probably working once a week, maybe two days a week. You can be home for five days, travel day, go to work, uh, shoot back. Depending on how far you are, you might go back that same night. And so he, he loves the position he's in. He gets to be full-time dad as much as anybody gets to be full-time dad. Um, full-time husband as much as anybody gets to do that with their schedules being what they are. And then go out, you know, have that feeling of wrestling and go home. Again, we're talking to Cameron Hawkins from The Ringer here on The Fight Game. Something else I want to ask you about, Danielson, before we get into Revolution, is the biggest moment that he said he had in his career when it was putting over Kofi Kingston at WrestleMania, and then the worst part was when he lost Brock Lesnar in the fashion that he did. What's his mission now at AEW when it comes to putting over all that young talent? I think for him, um, it's not even putting over young talent. I think in his mind, he realizes just how good these guys are, right? He doesn't feel like he has to make them look good because they're that good. So he can go in there, do his thing, and it's going to work out for both of them. Like he's, you know, we ran down the opponents he's had, the Rouches and the Banditos and the Thatchers, and he's high on all of them. Um, he did state that like none of those guys were his idea. Like that was all Tony Khan saying, hey, this is who we're going to put in front of you, you know, on the way to Max. He gets to Takesta, and he's like, no, we didn't even know who he was a year ago, but clearly he's really, really good. Um, and even when they're coming to him afterwards, uh, not those guys specifically, but, but anybody, uh, he talked about how high he was on Lee Moriarty, on uh, Daniel Garcia, a couple of other guys. He said, you know, people come to him afterwards, like, how was the match? Do you have any feedback? And he's like, did you have fun? You know, like, he thinks all those guys are really good. He thinks that, um, you know, he gives a lot in his matches. He's not afraid to get hit with everything you have. Um, and so it's not even him, like, wanting to put anybody over. He's going out there having the time of his life. And, again, he's so confident in his abilities, the rest of the stuff's going to take care of himself. And I think that if you look at all those matches, everybody's looked good in all of them. Like, nobody came across as less being in there with him. So, yeah, putting them over is just a byproduct of him doing his thing. And now let's take it the revolution that happened this Sunday, MJF versus Brian Danielson, an Ironman match for the AEW World Championship. I think it's going to be up there, top three Ironman matches. And for me, it's not two or three. What did you think of this match and the performance that they put on? You know, um, while I talked to Danielson 
um, for the article, you know, me and Max talk pretty regularly. And, you know, whenever he has uh, a big match, and it's the same way with Starks and a couple of other guys, when they have a big match, um, you know, I don't want to know who's going to win. I don't want to know who's going to lose. But I always tell them, like, go out there and smoke it. Go out there and smoke it. So this particular time, I tell Max, hey, this is your chance to show everybody how good you are. Go out there and smoke it. And he told me, I was built for this. And clearly he was, right? <laughs> like, he went out there and just killed it. Uh, you know, people forget he came up through Creative Pro. People forget that, you know, he was an MLW. Like, this thing has been in him. He has just been presented as somebody who's only going to show you when he needs to show you. I thought it was great. I thought they were physical. I thought the back and forth early on was great. They found creative ways to, to work an Iron Man match that wasn't just, uh, you know, falls and disqualifications. I loved it. Um, you know, Danielson talks about it being uh, past his bedtime, but they, they were on the West Coast, so it wasn't so bad. But, yeah, I, I thought it was amazing. I thought Max showed you everything he had in that arsenal, um, and I think that bought him credibility with people who weren't giving it to him in the first place. Yeah, because it's one of those things with Max where they put up his 2023 record and he's only wrestled once in this calendar year. So for some fans, mm -hmm. I understand that, hey, we never see him wrestle, but that's why he's the champion. That's why he's the draw. I like that old school feel that they're bringing back to him when the champion's only wrestling on the biggest of shows. But post-match, where do you see this these guys going forward, both of them? Who's the next challenger for MJF? And do you see Brian Danielson taking some time off? I think that... Uh... When you have guys who are tenured and have been big deals, and you don't want to run the risk of making them less in the immediacy, I think I think Brian's going to step away uh, for just a little while. Um, I don't know if that means Ring of Honor. You know, I don't know if that means doing something else with the, with the Combat Club. I'm not sure. Um, as far as the next challenger, like you, you know, you feel like it has to be a strong baby face. Um, I don't know if they run the risk of doing that with Hangman so soon. I think there will be a big, you know, groundswell for him to become champion. Um, I think it's kind of up in the air um, as far as who they're going to put in front of them. Hangman seems the most likely, you know, given placement, but you know they got Starks doing something different right now. Um, I don't think that Wardlow is in that position. You know, having just lost the title, I think they're going to go with that for a little while. So. Like, my, my, my instinct says hangman, but I hope they stay away from that. You know, so we'll see. Again, we're talking to Cameron Hawkins from The Ringer here on the fight game on 1230 The Game. Now, I just want to get your thoughts on the rest of the card from AEW Revolution. Jamie Hayter versus Ruby Soho and Soraya for the AEW Women's Championship. What have you thought about this feud so hard with now where it's coming to be more of the AEW originals versus the outsiders, as they like to call them? Match was good. I thought the match was really good. Um, I think Ruby Soho, you know, uh, WWE, one of their biggest misses was not keeping her. I thought she could play that Natalia role for another decade of, we can put you in the main event. If you're not in the main event, um, you know, you're a valuable wrestler who can get in there with anybody and make them look good. Um, what I do like about it, I think Ruby Soho went out there and stated very clear reasons why she's aligning herself with Soraya and Tony Storm. And it made sense, and it did not feel hyperbolic. It didn't feel cartoonish. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of outsiders versus homegrown talent, but I'm also not the biggest fan of random cat fighting for random cat fighting. And I think wrestling, women's wrestling, can devolve into that on a large stage. And so it's it's something with clear battle lines. You know, I hope we get something like a blood and guts because 
everybody in there is that good. Um, so yeah, I think it's been a, a an okay build. I'm not a fan of like the spray paint and how that echoes, you know, NWO stuff. But Ruby Soho coming in there with some levity, I think, really is going to help here. You mentioned blood and guts, John Moxley versus Adam Page in a Texas death match. It had all of the blood and guts. What did you think about that? Because some people are getting a little squeamish. Hey, why do we need so much blood in wrestling? But hey, if it's only going to be on one match of the card, I say give it, give it all to me. The only death match I've ever seen was October of 2021, Moxley and Nick Gage for the GCW title in, a, in Atlantic City. And it was absolutely insane. Um, I probably looked away for a while. Not the biggest fan of death matches, right? Um, but I will say, like you said, when, when it's used sparingly, I, I think that there's a real quality to it. They went out there and worked. They went out there and got crazy. And Adam Page, you know, showed you originally why they called him the hangman. Um, yeah, I thought it was fun. Um, you know, Moxley having to do a quick tap out is really interesting. Like giving page that rub. And then his uh, interview with Renee was really cool. He was like, yeah, I, mean, I guess I'm going to beat your husband up. I loved it. <laughs> I love that aspect of it. Again, aesthetically not the biggest fan, but I do feel like they went there and worked. So there, there's redeeming qualities to it, especially like how detailed and how intricate that robbery yeah, you mentioned Nick Gage, and my one deathmatch story with him is I did the crowd control in my limited pro wrestling career when him and A.J. Gray did a tag team match against uh, Cody, Cutthroat Cody and uh, Funny Bone out here in Vegas. And I had thumb t- and I had thumbtacks in both of my shoes. And I was walking around a little funny, like, what? And it's like, man, these deathmatches, you watch them up close because, you know, doing like, the get back, get back, the crowd's getting too involved in it. And it's like, no, they do this for real. It's real. Yeah. It is like one of the... <laughs> It's crazy. All right, moving along, the, the tag team match. Now, this is a match that it over-delivered because I had so such low expectations, the Guns versus the Acclaimed, Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett, and Dan Housen and Orange Cassidy. But the biggest star of the match, unfortunately, it's not the the combatants inside. It was the returning FTR. What would you think about it? I think that the Guns winning, like as soon as they won, I was like, well, this is the thing that doesn't work. And then FTR comes back. And FTR comes back with a promo on Wednesday about why they're back and why this is important to them. Um, you know, again, the match was okay. It was all right. Um, I don't want to see the acclaim kind of push down after they've been kind of the hottest act on that side. But it was good. It was good. Um, you know, Jay Lethal. I said Jay Lethal is Tony Khan's Edger and James, man. He gives that man so many touches. Um, match <laughs> after match after match after match. And, and yeah, Jay Lethal was solid. It's not like that's a problem. But to see him kind of involved in everything all the time is a little bit jarring. Yeah, match was solid, but bringing FTR back um, as good as they are, um, as valuable as they can be to that division, especially with the Bucks doing something else, um, having the title on the guns I think is most effective. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was all right. I like what it's leading to. Samoa Joe and Wardlow, the TNT Championship. Some people don't like the way it bounces back to back. We saw last night that Hobbs is now the carrier, the winner. The, you know, Hobbs has that TNT Championship now. But what do you think about that match at Revolution and then Hobbs now being the TNT Champion? It was cool. You know, it was cool. It was all right. Um, I don't think you have Wardlow that gone that gone that long to make it that temporary. But Wardlow's issue was not the. Uh, was not the TNT title. Wardlow's issue was Samoa Joe, and he took care of that. Yeah, I mean, like, that part is done. And so, yeah, I think it's okay. I, I 
you know, QT Marshall being involved is a callback to the favor that he owed Hobbs from taking out Ricky Starks. And, and so that's there. Um, but, but, yeah, I think once you resign yourself to the fact that the TNT title is meant to be passed, not to be held, then it's okay. Then it's all right. Um, but I like Hobbs. I like Hobbs a lot. Um, I think that he needed uh, direction. He needed to be steady. He needed to be on TV. And we're getting that now. So hopefully this does not mean that Ward Lowe's on the shelf again. Chris Jericho, Ricky Starks. Where does Ricky Starks go from here? I'm not at liberty to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the real inside scoop right there. Yeah, there. I can't really. Uh, let me just say this. Um, I think that anybody worried about him being defined down should not worry about that. I think um, what what he's going to be doing going forward is super interesting and different for him. And I expect it to work out. But if it works out, oh boy, um, this is this is going to be taken to the next level, man. That, that's all I can say about that. Well, I'm going to say it for you. My reckless speculation, just off the little kernel of information that you gave me, is that they're going to run it back with him and MJF in the near future. Maybe not, you know, next week, not two weeks from now, but they're building them back up to be like, yeah, hey, man, people said it before, that Rock Austin, that's where I think he should go. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything. This is just my reckless speculation. But that's where I think it's going to be going. The elite in the House of Black, that AEW Trios Championship match, the finish was chef's kiss perfect. What do you think about that? Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, I think that we as as fans, and of course, like some of us are more informed on, on certain situations. You know, I wish we could have cut Malachi Black uh, some slack, you know, just like we should anybody who, who's dealing with whatever it is you're dealing with in life. Uh, I think the guy's really solid. Um, I like what he stands for. And boy, when, when the machines behind him producing him the way he needs to be produced, he goes out there and smokes it and, and you know, Buddy goes out there and smokes it and Brody. And, and yeah, they're really good. We know what the elite is. Uh, Kenny Omega, I, I fear that Kenny Omega is going to be overused and they're not going to let him you know, recover properly. And people say, you know, you went out there and Osprey and they went crazy. Yes, they did. Nobody's denying that. But one crazy match does not make a fully recovered wrestler. You know what I mean? I hope they take their time with Kenny. But I, I loved it. Um, and somebody who thinks that trios wrestling is silly, so by virtue <laughs> of that trios titles are even sillier, it was very, very good. One thing that the Bucks are, are absolute masters at is breaking up a two-count. Boy, they are great at that last-second breakup, holding on to those titles desperately. I I loved it. I thought the match was really, really, really good. Um, And if there's anywhere trios is going to work, it's AEW. So hopefully we build up some teams and keep that thing rolling. And last match I want to talk about from Revolution, Jungle Boy Jack Perry versus Christian Cage. Christian is just smoking this feud. I don't know where he goes after because he was buried. But what do you think about that one and where Jack Perry can go in the future? Jack Perry, um, you know, is, is he going to get taller? Probably not. Is he going to put on a lot of weight? Probably not. But they love him, and he has a mean streak to him, and he has a really good look. And so, yeah, like that's who should be competing over your TNT title at this point. Like He should be right there in the mix. Um, I think he's going to be a good babyface. Like a really strong babyface for them. Um, if it was me, I'd tweak the look a little bit. 
Um, but I think they might be doing that anyway. Christian is so good. Like, I, I don't get caught up in the, is Edge better, is Christian better? But I was always a giant fan of Christian. I mean, like, Captain Charisma, I knew he was that guy. How smarmy are you to come out for a street fight in a sleeveless turtleneck? Oh, he's so good. He's so good. Um, that was a really fun match. Um, you know, they, they, they did a different type of wrestling. They weren't out there moving for move for move. They were fighting and scrapping and, craw- and clawing. I thought it was really good. Christian, I think he can come back and do whatever. Like, he can come out there and say, I'm done with Jungle Boy and go on to the next thing. Um, but I think it was great for Jungle Boy. Hopefully he's exercised that demon and really gets into his singles mood. All right, Cameron Hawkins, thank you so much for joining me. You can follow him at Seahawk on Twitter. Before you go, let everybody know where they can read your good stuff, what you got coming out next. I know you always got something on the pipeline. Yeah, man. Uh, so the ringer.com, the ringer.com, you can search Cameron Hawkins. Again, the most recent thing, at last dragon. I'm writing about Brian Danielson, how he thinks he's as good as he's ever been, and what he thinks. What he thinks goes into that. Really, really fun uh, to write. Um, here next week, um, the Monster Factory, coached by Danny Cage, has a TV deal with uh, Apple TV on Apple Plus. And uh, me and Danny talk for about an hour, and so we're going to write uh, something about that. Um, it's, it's really interesting, the, the, the cast of students, what they represent, and the direction this is going, I think, is really, really fun. Um, a bunch of stuff coming up, WrestleMania weekend. Um, if you pay attention uh, to your, your aggregators and when information comes up, I think, and when I say I think, I know, I was the very first person to break the news that uh, Bad Bunny is going to be hosting WWE Backlash uh, in May in Puerto Rico. Um, I have uh, like three assignments coming out for WrestleMania. So um, if you don't hear from me between now and then, it's because I'm buried in my room writing. And um, if you happen to be in L.A., WrestleMania week, um, the ringer is hosting a meet and greet that I will be a part of. Um, It's going to be Thursday the 30th, I believe, at L.A. Live. And so there'll be more information on that. If you want to come by, say what's up, take a tequila shot or something, we can make that happen. (laughs) all right man like i said so much that you got working on it all sounds good and now you're in the news breaking business too i see you man no (laughs) not in the news breaking business i broke that news please do not expect that from me don't hit me up in the ngl about no rumors or spoilers or none of that i don't know nothing um like i said uh, me and triple h were shooting dice he didn't have no cash on him so he had to let me hold his phone for like 10 minutes do with that what you will all right man thank you so much for coming on the show Take care, man. Thank you. And that was Cameron Hawkins. When we come back, we're going to finish up with a few good minutes about one of the hottest things to talk about out there. Creed 3. Don't go anywhere. This is The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game. Welcome back to the fight game on 1230 the game as we wrap up today's show so much to talk about going to talk about Creed 3 a little bit as I just got a review from my cousin MJ who said it was mid 
I gotta disagree with that. This movie is not mid. I mean, the anime influences that Michael B. Jordan had in there, the final fights basically taken out of a scene from Naruto where the punch to the gut that he gets hit with in the final round is almost like a Dragon Ball Z moment. So for anybody to call it mid, come on, you, come on, man, let's be real. Let's be real. The movie was not mid. I'm going to do, in the 10 minutes that I've got left on the show, just do a quick little breakdown of the movie. You have Adonis Creed, champion of the world. He fights his last fight with Pretty Ricky, the heavyweight champion in the first Creed, retires on top. Obviously, that's how it's going to be. Michael B. Jordan's, what, maybe not a day over 33, but he's got to hang him up for some reason. And then we get the the return of a mysterious figure. Who is this from prison? When you see somebody come back from prison, you know something up. And you know he was from prison by the way that brother was dressed. I mean, this was just one of those, something's going to happen here. We knew that something was happening in this movie, but Michael B. Jordan... He really stepped it up as Adonis Creed, and somebody else that stepped it up was Wood Harris. Because we see that Jonathan Major's character in this movie, he comes back, and Wood Harris from the get-go is like, yo, I don't want him around here. I don't want him in the gym. He really took over that figure that Rocky played in the last couple of movies of just the guy who was going to tell Donnie what he needed to be told. But I, from the jump of, oh, man, we don't need this dude in the gym. You know that this dude's going to be nothing but trouble. So then he gets to spar with the heavyweight champion of the world, apparently, that's training at Donnie's gym, where the guy in real life looks like he was about a buck 65. And then that that's some of the movie magic that you can't, you, you know, maybe Michael B. Jordan, you can make him look like a heavyweight contender, even though he like 5'10", 185. But when you got a guy that looks like he's 160, Jonathan Majors, even when he was sparring with him, looked like he was two weight classes above him. And you could tell that he's fighting a little dirty even during the sparring. And he's slowly trying to work his way back into his life, as we see Felicia Rashad's character, Michael B. Jordan's mother, where she's given the uh, backstory of, hey, I I kept him away for you for good. And we'd never really get the full example, the explanation of why, until later in the movie. But you see him, like, sparring more, and you could tell that this dude, even though he just got out of prison, this dude can still box. And then it's one of the, the movie magic of the BS of he gets to the record label party for Michael B. Jordan's wife in the movie. He gets to the record label party and the fight that was going to be set up between Baby Drago and now the new heavyweight champion of the world where he breaks his hand in the movie. Well, not Jonathan Major's character, but somehow the character's hands gets broken. Drago, ba- Baby Drago's hand gets broken. And so who else can fight him except Jonathan Majors in this movie and he goes out there and ragdolls him and when he's cheating in the movie you could tell that he was fighting dirty but he probably could have beat him without fighting dirty and the announcers they really weren't selling it that much that definitely should have been more than a point taken where he was fighting him so dirty but he almost killed him I thought it was going to be that setup for Rocky 4 where it's throwing the damn towel and then <laughs> He kills him. If he dies, he dies. But we didn't get that in the movie where he's like, oh, you get you get the cutaway scene and it's ah, uh, he he's in stable condition. Stable condition, that's all? Nah, nah. I thought he was dead. It would have been better for me if he did die. Because then that would have really set the stakes for, nah, this dude a different breed. This dude cold blooded. But we didn't get that so much. And then obviously, Michael B. Jordan, once he learns of the double cross. He's a little, you know, obviously he's offended by this, but you got to think if you did 18 years for somebody, they don't write, they don't call. And basically it is their fault that you're in prison. I would hate him too. 
I would have did all that and more. I thought there was going to be a subplot of him trying to take his wife. I would have took it there too because there's no way that I'm going to be away for all these years and you're just going to forget about me and take me out to lunch and then try to pay for my meal and think we good. So I'm on Jonathan Major's side this entire movie where Michael B. Jordan, not that he was looking like a punk, but he was definitely in the wrong. So then we see Jonathan Majors. He's now the heavyweight champ. And now Adonis Creed has to come back. He's got to work himself back into shape and then take on the champion of the world. He comes. He goes on first take. This is the best scene in the movie. He goes on first take with Stephen A. Smith. And Stephen A. is doing what Stephen A. does. He's, you've never come on my show before. But why do you want to be on the show today? And working in the business, there's no way this works. How does Jonathan Major's character, whose name's slipping me right now, how does he have the number to first take, to call up first take at, let's say, 8 o'clock in the morning and say, put me on the show? I don't know, but he gets on the show, and it was just that that animosity, that energy of the brother that we all know is a little bit bougie that's living off the high life, and then the brother that just got out of prison, or they just screaming at each other, run it, run it, let's run it then. And then we got the fight that sets up the final fight of the movie. And they set up Michael B. Jordan to fail and multiple times here. He comes out to a Big Sean song that nobody's ever heard of before. And then Jonathan Majors comes out to Last Time That I Checked by Nipsey, by Nipsey Hussle. Who you going to be rooting for in that? Because if anybody came out to Big Sean in real life, I'm t- I got to take, who- take whoever he's fighting against. And then you get the final fight. And like I said, the choreography that we have there, they set it up in the beginning where Michael B. Jordan was basically moving in the Matrix when he was setting up for his first fight and basically seeing things in slow motion where they were really setting it up where it was the animeness of it, where it's basically playing out like a cartoon, the fighting styles. I really liked the being trapped inside of the fight within themselves, the fight between their mind. And that really got us through those middle rounds. So you didn't have the classic Rocky Oh, man, they're just slugging back and forth. Or these guys, they're going punch for punch, block for block. And then by the time you know it, it's the 12th and final round. And then you get that victorious knockout by Michael B. Jordan. And the last nit that I want to pick, because we are running out of time here on the show, is there is no way that you beat up that Michael B. Jordan gets that win. And then Jonathan Major's character is just like, yeah, we cool. He just lost everything that he was trying to build up. He was one in one. I mean, this guy got the heavyweight title after one fight, and now he's cool with Michael B. Jordan. He gives him his closure so he can move on with his life. I don't think in real life he would have been cool with it just like that. And that's going to do it for us on our show today. I want to thank OG Shawnee Mack from Full Send MMA for joining us on the the show to talk about UFC 285. Cameron Hawkins from The Ringer. Follow him at Seahawk. He's one of the best follows. Give him all your wrestling questions, and he'll give you the answers. Thank him for joining the show. His piece on Daniel Bryan is out now, and he's gonna he's got some more stuff cooking up for WrestleMania. And thank you for joining me here on the fight game on 1230 The Game. Stay safe and protect yourself at all times, everybody. <laughs>